chapter 1. Last week was our first week in a new series. The series was called Plus Nothing. Grace alone frees us. It's by grace alone that we're saved, plus nothing. We try and add so much to grace. We try and add so much to the gospel and to how we're saved by Jesus Christ. But it's by him alone that we're saved. There's nothing that we can do to earn our own salvation. There's nothing to add to what he, Jesus Christ, already did on that cross. Plus nothing. Jesus and the cross is enough to save us. And we're going to be spending time in Galatians as we study the word of God verse by verse each week for the next couple months. So join me, and if we could please stand. If you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I do have it in front of you on the projector screen as well. Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 1 through 10. We read this. Paul, an apostle, not from men, no through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astounded that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't want to waste too much time with verses 1 through 5. That was last week. I do encourage you to go back if you missed last week and listen to the sermon, whether it be on podcast, YouTube, SoundCloud. It is out there for you to see and for you to catch up. I do want to just address a few points to you and just kind of do a little bit of a recap. Not too much. I want to stay to my notes as much as possible. But for those of you who missed last week, or those of you who weren't taking good notes last week, or those of you who may have been sleeping last week, we all have those days. Let me just give a little bit of a recap. So Galatians 1, last week, we start out with a salutation, a greeting. It's a fancy word for greeting. We shared about a lot about what is a salutation and how is it put together? How do different people do greetings around the world and around this church even? We also shared that Paul did salutations much differently in his other letters. And the letter of Galatians is totally different. There's no encouragement. There's no thanksgiving given to those who he's writing to. There's no message of blessing at the very beginning because instead Paul is straight to the point. He is direct. He is all business. We talked extensively about, about salutations last week, so we're not going to focus too much on that. But we really focused on, on, I believe it was verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this salutation that he wrote, 
within the first three verses, he was already getting down to business. He was already summarizing the, the purpose of him writing. To tell them of grace and of peace. And it's only by grace that you have peace. We said that Galatians has been called the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. And that the great reformer Martin Luther especially loved this letter as he called Galatians his Catherine von Bora, which is after his wife, because he said, I am married to it. It's a powerful statement. Are we married to the word of God? Or are we married to more things of the world? What are you willing to give up for God? What do you give up on God? This is a book of the Bible, a letter or epistle which carries with it a great message. And we should all be challenged by Martin Luther's word that we should be married to it. So here's a letter by Galatians. Uh, sorry, a letter to, to the cities of Galatia by Paul. And where Galatia, Galatia, these cities would be, would be modern-day Turkey. I actually had a map up. I ended up deleting it. But you guys can look up modern-day Turkey, Google search, Galatia, and you'll see exactly where it is. But since visiting and starting these churches of Galatia, Paul has gotten message somehow from someone that the people of Galatia have started preaching a different gospel, his own words. And he's heartbroken. We talked about that last week. How would you feel if you spent all this time preaching a message to somebody, leading them to God, to only find out the very next day that they left the very gospel of grace that brings them to Jesus, that restores that relationship? I wrote this. Imagine then Paul's shock when he learns that the Galatians are turning away from the one who had called them by his grace. Paul was, of course, not new to struggles in ministry, He'd seen it all, yet what could have prepared him for this heartbreak? I envision that as he's writing this, he's writing it with his own blood, sweat, and tears. Paul had established these precious churches, and we read about that in Acts 13 through 14, only now to see them abandoning the gospel of grace. Abandoning, which is ultimately shipwrecking their faith upon the rocks. Because by grace is how we're saved. We can't add anything to it. So with tears in his eyes, then Paul composes this letter to address how they had betrayed not just him, and the, but the gospel. After all, when somebody is turning from Christ, it should grieve us. It should grieve us. We should be saddened when we hear of people that don't know Christ. We should be saddened when we hear of people that don't know God, that don't have a relationship with Him. Because it's by Him that we're saved and we have life, that we have hope, that we find our purpose in life. There's so many people around the world, as we said, that are being persecuted for their faith. It's because they know the true value of their faith. They know the true value of the Word of God. Do we have that value? Do we really know the meaning of it? After all the kids in schools who are hurting. All the people in the world today who are hurting, looking for hope, looking for purpose, and we have the answer for it all. But do we tell them? Here Paul is. He's hurting. He's grieving as he hears this news. So he doesn't just stand by. He doesn't just ignore it. He doesn't just hide. He writes a letter to address it. John writes in 3 John 1, 4, that I have no greater joy than this, 
to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We should want to address these things because we should also want to hear the children of the world being reconnected with their father, with God. Here in Galatia, in the cities of Galatia, Paul was addressing people who were like children to him. He had mentored them. He had brought them into a new life with God, a gospel of grace. And yet now he felt betrayed. But not just him. God was being betrayed. I asked you a question last week. We didn't really talk about it very much, but it was, have you ever been betrayed? So I want to start off kind of moving into today's verses, verses 6 through 10, with talking about that. Betrayal. Being deserted or desertion. Now, I'm not talking about your son or your best friend, your daughter, betraying you, deserting you, and going to the other team, rooting for the Minnesota Vikings instead of the Packers, of course. That would be betrayal. That would be desertion, right? To switch teams or switch sides. But it's much more powerful than that. It's much more crucial than that. See, what we see here is a military type of desertion. Sometimes this might be in the middle of a war. People are deserting who they serve, who they're fighting for. In military terminology and what is used here, desertion, the definition, is the abandonment of a duty or a post and is done with with the intention of not returning. I looked up some statistics about desertion. And these are pretty powerful. I, I never knew how many people deserted their countries during times of war. During World War I, approximately 600 French soldiers were executed for desertion. Over 20,000 American soldiers were tried and sentenced for desertion during World War II. 20,000 people. But only 49 of them were actually sentenced to death. And of, one of, of, of those 49, only actually one was followed through and actually put to death for that crime. During World War I, 306 British and Commonwealth soldiers were executed for desertion during the war. During the period between August 1914 and March 1920, more than 20,000 servicemen were convicted by, courts, by court martial of offenses and were sentenced to the death sentence. But only 3,000 of those men were ordered to be put to death. 3,000. During the American Civil War, starting to go back with each one here, both the Union and Confederacy had a great number of people who deserted their their war, their battle. From its 2.5 million or so men, the Union Army saw about 200,000 deserters. Over 100,000 deserted the Confederate Army. And if they were caught, they would face execution. There is a crime. Uh, It was a crime. There was a deep, intense punishment for that crime. But the Roman Empire now, going back even further, let me read to you about their crime, their punishment. The Roman Empire also took desertion quite seriously. And the penalties were this. Military penalties in Roman law for lesser offenses included being hit by the centurion, that is a Roman commander of 100 legionnaires with his staff, reduction in pay, fines or deductions from the pay allowance, imposition of additional duties, relegation to inferior services or duties, 
and reduction in rank, and then more serious crimes and, and desertion would be executed. Those who aided those people and helped them to get away from the, Rome, the Roman army, they would also face the same consequences. In addition to the military penalties, civil liabilities was imposed on the convicted deserters, and they would also be ordered to pay back everything that they had been paid while in service to the military. There was a great consequence for deserting people, for deserting their, their military, their governments. And why do I tell you all this? Let's get back to the scripture. Today's scripture in verse 6 to 7. Let me read it to you again. Read this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We see here that people were deserting as well. And for wrongful reasons. Now, there's never any rightful reason to desert Christ, to, be, to leave Christ, to leave the gospel of grace, to try and add to it. But it really wasn't even about going to a different gospel as what he said. Let me explain a little bit. There's only one gospel. And the word gospel at its very heart means good news. And there's only one true good news, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ dying for us. This grace equals good news, which equals gospel, the gospel, which equals the cross, which equals Jesus, which equals grace. It all starts with grace, and it all comes back to grace. Now, sure, we could argue good news. There's many types of good news around the world today, right? Turn on the news. Okay, turn on the news. You might not hear good news. You might hear a lot of news which upsets you, which saddens you. As in recent days, we've heard a lot of news which saddens us. But there is a lot of good news out there, right? How about the good news of someone getting married? Like our very own Logan Pankratz, who recently proposed to his girlfriend just a few weeks ago. That's good news, right? Like how I worked that in there? That is good news, right? We can't deny that. How about the good news of a husband and wife having a baby? As a wife comes to her husband and, and surprises her with the good news that he's going to be a dad. That's good news, right? How about if we take a step further? Now husband and wife excited. They plan and they go to mom and dad to tell them you're going to be grandparents. Would anybody say that's bad news? No, that's good news. <laughs> that's good news, of course. I'm not going to argue with any of you with that. But here's the thing. It's not the good news. Paul meant there is no good news in this message. The message which these false teacher, teachers were teaching them. It is only bad news because it takes them away from the grace of Christ. The grace of the cross. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news because it leads to life everlasting. The good news that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. Who cares for us. And he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. And that's what we did today to reflect upon that. Jesus Christ. He had the power to snap his fingers. Not even snap his fingers, but at his word, he could have just had it all be done with. And he could have said, I'm not doing this. I'm not being tortured for these people. They don't even love me. They're persecuting me. They want to hang me on a cross. 
yet he did it anyways. That's grace. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of Jesus to save us. That he went all the way to the cross. Again, on that cross, he could have decided, no, I'm done. But no, he went all the way and died for us. Buried and rose again three days to be victorious over death. And why? Why would he do all this? And yet, yet, while we were still sinners. Because that's what we needed. He didn't need to do it at all. But he wanted to do it. Because he knew that it's what we needed. And God desires to have that right relationship restored with us. The good news, the gospel, is the only good news which gives us God's grace. Which gives us mercy and everlasting life. It's good news to hear that you're getting married. It's good news to hear when you're having a baby. It's good news to celebrate these things of life together. But it's not the good news. And the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ is that God did this yet while we were still sinners. We can't add anything to it. It's plus nothing. We're not good enough. There's no other gospel. There's no way that we can earn salvation on our own. But when we turn from the gospel, we are turning from God himself. That's the crazy thing. If we turn to the gospel and we just accept the gospel of grace, that we can't do it on our own, God gives it to us. If we profess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior over our lives, he gives it to us freely. But if we don't, then we're turning away from God. We're putting a wall in between us. And there's no way to remove that wall. We can try and be good enough. We can try and do more and more works with our life. But it's never good enough. All we need to do is accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And this is what Paul had told them. And yet they're betraying him. They're deserting the gospel. What do we see in verse 6? We see that the people of these Galatian cities and church were trying to add to the gospel. They were turning from the true gospel of grace... They thought that they knew more than this Christ-commissioned person, Paul. They questioned Paul's very authority. So now instead of Paul writing a letter encouraging them and praising them and, and saying, I am, I'm excited to hear about how you worship our Savior, he's instead writing them a letter trying to get them back on track. Let them know how they've left the one true gospel. There's no other way. In Acts 20, verse 24 we read how Paul is fully devoted to Christ in the gospel of grace. We read, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Ephesians 2, 8-10, we read this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice, number one, we are saved by grace alone. Number two, for good works. It's not the other way around. There is a proper order to this. We're saved by grace. You know what? You're never going to come in here and hear me tell you, that you have to do this and that and this and that, and if you don't do all this, well, then God won't save you. Because it's not about that. 
Sometimes we try and add too much to the gospel of grace. We try and add things to salvation which aren't meant to be there. Any works-based religion or system is a hopeless system. Let me repeat that again in case you're taking notes. Any works-based religion or system is a hopeless system. You know why? Because sooner or later, we're going to let him down. We're not going to do what we should do. There is no other gospel, but they thought they could add to the one true gospel. Apparently, it was just too simple to them. The Galatian converts who had received this gospel of grace were now turning away to another gospel, a gospel of works. The false teachers were evidently Judaizers, legalists, whose gospel is summarized in Acts 15.1, which says this, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Note, they did not deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stress that you must also be circumcised and keep the laws of Moses. They tried to add these things. Now, I do know they were people based upon traditions, laws, sacrifices, judgments, and this was all new to them. That's why I say it was apparently too simple for them. But by trying to add these things to the gospel, it devalued the gospel. It devalued Jesus. It devalued the cross. It's like they were saying, well, I know Jesus died upon the cross for us, and I know he was the son of God. He is son of God. But they're saying, that's not good enough. I can do something better. I can do this, I can do that, and I can do this. They're saying they can earn it themselves. We can't do that. God's word tells us that. They probably thought to themselves, what is this grace? We must add to it. By them trying to add these other things to the good news, they're making a different gospel. Because it's not the gospel that God gave them. Jesus Christ and the cross is enough. It's always enough. If your life is messed up, if you don't know where to go, if you don't know what to do, the cross is enough. It was enough then. It was enough throughout all of history over the last 2,000 years. And Jesus Christ and the cross, the gospel of grace is still enough today. Come to the cross where we have victory. You know, today we were singing some songs about victory. And I didn't plan that, but I actually wrote some lyrics to some songs in my notes about victory. Because I wrote, as I wrote this, I just thought about the victory that we have in Jesus. It reminded me of victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. You notice I didn't try and sing it for you. You guys would have probably ran out. But then there was another song I thought of. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Amen. You see, we have victory through Jesus. Through Jesus and the cross, that is the gospel of grace the gospel of salvation. There's no other gospel. 
We can't add anything to it. Here we see as we read on, and I'll try and work fast here, Paul was astonished. Other translations use the words he was amazed, he was marveled, he was shocked. Paul was astonished that they would even try to add anything to it, that they would try and make their own new form of the gospel. Paul could not believe how fickle they were, how gullible they were, how easily fooled they were, and he says they quickly deserted the gospel. Now, quickly can mean two things. One, it can mean time, that they quickly deserted. They didn't waste any time. I imagine Paul gained this letter and maybe thought, already I just now got to this other city. I'm already moving on, spreading the gospel here. It could mean time. If they didn't waste any time, Paul left. A false teacher stood up and started preaching against Paul's message. And like that, they're going against it. Or it can be quickly in a different meaning. It can mean without a fight, without argument, without debate. No notion of even trying to defend the truth. I think it means both. I think that Paul left and people stood up and they started preaching against what he said. People stood up and they started saying, you know what? I know Paul said these things, but guys, doesn't that sound a little crazy? Don't you think that we should still do these other things, maybe just in case? And then the people who truly believed what Paul had said, because I truly do believe, as we see through Galatians, that these people had accepted the gospel, but they were fooled by these false teachers. They gave in. They didn't put up a fight. They didn't argue their beliefs. They didn't defend the truth. You know, I've seen this myself. I've seen as I put a great deal of time into a sermon or a Bible study, and then I hear from somebody in the church who after I leave this Bible study, somebody else, in the own word of this person that came to me, they pirate my study. They hijack it. They wait for me to leave, and then they stand up and they say, guys, you know everything he said is just wrong. We need to do this and that and this and that. And let me explain, I welcome discussion. I think it's great. I, I encourage you guys to dig deep into Scripture, and I hope that you never take what I say just for granted. I hope that what I say excites you about God's Word and makes you want to go dig deeper on your own and see where did he get that from. And then I welcome you to come to me and let me know if you find something differently or maybe you find a different insight, a different thought that I never thought of. And that's great. But there's a right way to do it. If you feel that way, you stand up for your beliefs then. You defend the truth. But you shouldn't be doing it behind people's backs, spreading gossip. Allow Paul to defend himself against these false teachers. Now he's addressing it after the fact. There's a right way to do things. Gossiping or bad-talking us, Paul, me, anybody in us, it's not the right way to do things. That's what causes division within the church body. That's what causes division amongst friends, amongst families. Obviously, I know it's going to happen. And that's why when this person came to me, I told him there's nothing I can do about it. It happened after the fact. Now, there are times when if it's, if it's truly preaching against the gospel of salvation, something that matters, what I call the hills to die on, you address it. Like I said, with, with this, Paul's addressing it by writing this letter. He's not ignoring it. There's other things that you just have to move on. You say, you know what, that Bible study, these Bible studies, we have a lot of different people in here. 
And I hope that these people share their opinions so we can talk about it, we can discuss it. But sometimes they do it after I leave, and I can't control what's said after I leave. We need to leave that in the hands of God, unless it's a different gospel. Paul was astonished. And sometimes we're just like the people of Galatia. We try and add things that aren't meant to be added. We think the gospel sounds too simple, and we try to add all sorts of extra thing and things into God's word that is not there. <clears throat> we think we look at somebody and we think, oh, they must not be saved. Look at the things that they do. And yes, there should be evidence for our faith. We should have works that are, that are coming into our life because we're saved. But we also need to realize that everybody's at a different place. It doesn't happen immediately for everybody. It takes time. We should be encouraging. We should be coming alongside them and helping them. We should be making sure they know the gospel of grace, of Christ, of the cross. Paul was astonished because Paul knew that there was great consequences of deserting or leaving grace. We are meant to be freed by grace, not held in a bondage to works. Paul chose to do something about it. He wrote this letter, and Paul was so astonished that we see him saying that people should be accursed for distorting or troubling the gospel. And not just anybody. He even said himself. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Just like desertion was not something to be taken lightly, leaving the gospel of grace, preaching against this gospel, is not to be taken lightly. People were put to death for it. Paul must be, be speaking hypothetically, because we know no angel of God is going to be speaking against this gospel. Paul is not speaking against this gospel. But it shows us a heightened sense of urgency to make sure that we value the gospel of salvation, which is through grace alone we're saved through the cross. Verse 10, Paul wraps up this section by again defending his apostleship against the false teachers. He wasn't looking for their approvals, but God's approval. He is a servant of Christ and not the world. Can we say this of ourselves? Can we say that we don't serve the world, we serve God? And our actions, our choices, are based not about what the world thinks about us, but it's based upon glorifying God with our actions and hoping that what he thinks of us is that he's proud of us for being like his son. Galatians can help us remember that the simplicity of the gospel is the greatest gift to us. As I close, let me bring to you these applications. Number one, biblical truth still matters today. We must live cautiously so that you might not be led astray by good communicators who do not preach from godly wisdom and truth. Guys, there's still false teachers today. And sometimes their credentials make us think that they know what they're talking about just because they have a degree or just because they have 5,000 followers or 50,000 followers or 1 million followers on Facebook. That doesn't mean anything. Look to what they're preaching. We must live cautiously so they might not be led astray but just because they're a good communicator. Test them. Test the things you hear and read because false prophets are more concerned with popularity than truth. Paul was astonished and in great despair that they left so quickly. 
May we not leave so quickly. John MacArthur states this, The greatest enemies of the church are not those who openly contradict the Bible and denounce Christ, but those children of hell who, proposing to speak in God's name, they subtly undermine and distort his true gospel with a system of works-based righteousness. That's pretty deep. If you want my sermon notes later, I'll give them to you. But he goes on to say this, Satan's primary target for false teaching is the doctrine of salvation. Because if people are confused about that, then they have no way of coming to God in the first place and thus remain under Satan's influence and control. John 8, 31 to 32 tells us, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't hide from biblical truth. Don't ignore biblical truth. Dig into biblical truth. Know what you believe and share it. Defend it. 2 Corinthians 11.14 tells us Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We must be reflecting the light of Christ to show people the truth, to illuminate the lies. Skipping forward a little bit, we have number two. Remember who you live for. Live a life glorifying him in all you do. If a man tries to please people, it goes against pleasing God. Because you can't serve two masters. We should be pleasing people in the way of edifying them, in the way of bringing them to the gospel, bringing them to Christ. But we must not sacrifice the gospel for that. Whether you eat or drink or whatever else you do, you must do it all to the glory of God. So whom do you long to, to please? Whose approval matters most to you? To summarize, I wrote this. We must not be so quick to leave the gospel of grace or to try to add to it. Always walk in truth. Do not betray God. Live for him. I'll end with a story here, a short story. John Bunyan, an English writer and Puritan preacher, best remembered as the author of the Christian story, The Pilgrim's Progress, when he refused to give up preaching, they put him in prison and said to him, Mr. Bunyan, you can come out of prison whenever you will promise to cease preaching the gospel. He said, if you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. Well, they said, then you must go back to prison. He answered them, I will go back and stay there if need be till the moss grows on my eyelids, but I will never deny my master. Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan here that this was the stuff of which the godly men were made. May the Lord make many of us to be like him. Men and women who stand for truth. Men and women who accept the gospel for what it is, something that we can't earn. And we don't try to add works to it. We just accept Jesus as our Savior. And then we allow our lives to be changed for him. Let me pray as we close. Please bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel of salvation, for your, the grace that you give us, the good news, which is only that Jesus Christ came to save us, yet while we were still sinners, Lord. He died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he was victorious over death. And you did this all for us so that we might have a restored relationship with you. And we thank you for this, Lord. May we not be so quickly to leave the gospel of Jesus Christ, of grace. May we not leave the gospel, Lord because it is the way to everlasting life. We can be victorious through you and only through you. And it's in your holy name we pray.
Amen. Thank you. So.